growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. It is not a head problem, but a heart problem for the unbeliever. That's, that's the first place we have to start. The fool has said in his heart. Isn't that unusual? Don't you think it, that it would say the fool has said in his head? The fool has thought there is no God. But that's not how the text starts, is it? He says the fool has said in his heart. It gets down to the fact that it is a heart problem that people have when it comes to this belief in God. Happy belated April Fool's Day. Yesterday was April Fool's Day, a day when many people pull pranks and jokes on their unsuspecting friends and family. The exact origin of the day is debated, but for hundreds of years, people have been taking advantage of others' gullibility and making fools of them. All of this might be harmless fun, but the Bible says that the person that does not believe in God is the real fool, and the consequences are anything but harmless. People sometimes think that because God is loving, He certainly would not be uh, judgmental. God can't simply look the other way, or, or He's not a just God. And His love does not cancel does not cancel out our penalty, but it does, but His love can make provision for the penalty. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Psalm 53, a passage that speaks of the foolishness of rejecting God and the eternal consequences of such a decision. In an age when mankind is advancing dramatically in areas such as science, technology, and medicine, there is a temptation for people to reject belief in a supernatural God. But, as we'll hear today, that is a very foolish decision. Now, here's Pastor Clay. There was an atheist. An atheist was walking through the woods one day. Man, I want to walk out there so bad. I just want to get out there. But I, think, I don't know if I'm going to be too dark. I'm going to be right, right on top of y'all and stuff. So. Anyway, this atheist was walking through the woods one day just admiring the magnificence uh, that the accident of evolution had, had caused. The, the, the just magnificent towering trees and the beautiful flowers and the birds that were singing and the rivers that were flowing and he was just admiring the the grandeur of it all and 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 the 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 beauty and the complexity of uh, the ecological system that he thought man if i didn't if i didn't know better it was almost as if it was designed I, I, it's But he's walking through the woods and he's admiring all this when suddenly he hears a, a rustling, rustling in the bushes behind him and he turns and, and out of the bushes comes a 600-pound grizzly bear. Beverly, 600-pound grizzly bear coming at him, attack, run, running after him. And he takes off running just as fast as he can. I mean, as, as you can imagine, most of us would, right? Uh, none of us have enough Jesus in us to not run from a grizzly bear, I don't think, do we? <laughs> Stakes off running uh, just as fast as he can. And as he's running, he's looking over his shoulder and the grizzly bear is just, is just gaining on him and he's running, trying to run faster. He's running so fast, tears are streaming down his eyes. And he's running, the grizzly bear is, is closing in on him. He's, he's trying to run faster and faster. And because he's trying to run faster, he, he trips and he stumbles and he falls to the ground and, he, and he, he's just about, he's you know, trying to get up and he, suddenly the, this 600-pound grizzly bear is right on top of him and he's got his paw up and he's ready just to deliver this death blow. Did I build that up pretty well? Sound pretty dramatic. He's ready to deliver this death blow. And, and in that instant, this atheist just suddenly shouts out, Oh, God! And time froze. The river stopped flowing. The birds stopped singing. The bear froze in midair. 
And suddenly the shaft of light shot down and, 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 and shone on the atheist. And this voice uh, out of heaven said, For all of these years, you have made fun of me and those who do not believe in me. You have, you have uh, even taught others that I did not exist. You have given credit to my creation to some uh, cosmological accident. And am I now to assume that you are a believer? Ever prideful, the atheist said, well, it would be a, it, it would, it would be a, it just, I just couldn't, you know, it wouldn't look good for me after all these years of ignoring you to, to now uh, claim to be a, a Christian. So uh, could I just ask that you, that you make the bear a Christian? The voice, the voice said, very well. Suddenly the light went away, the sounds returned, the birds sang, the river flowed, and the bear, whose paw was ready to strike, suddenly lowered his paw and brought up his other paw, bowed his head and said, Lord, I, I thank you for this food which I'm about to receive. It could happen. It could, it could happen. Um, it is uh, the day after April Fool's Day, but I just kind of went in this direction today. We finished up a series last week and uh, just uh, felt kind of uh, led to, to, to talk about something, look at a passage of Scripture that, that deals with who God considers the fool. And again, I say that not, uh, not uh, to insult anyone. We'll look at the biblical idea of what a fool is. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them to Psalm 53? Psalm 53, it's a short psalm, uh, six so verses, it's not long, six, seven verses, and uh, we're going to look at this morning, uh, time permitting, five facts about an unbeliever from Psalm 53. I'm so glad y'all are here uh, today. I'm going to read the entire psalm to you because it's not long, and then we're going to slow down back up and, and look at it some more. Thanks so much, thanks so much, thanks so much for being here today, to the glory of God. Thank you for being here. Psalm 53, listen, Uh, a psalm of David's. The fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside And together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge, who eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God? There they were in great fear where no fear had been, for God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God has rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. God, today, as we delve into your word and make application for our lives, I pray for your wisdom, your discernment for each of us. I pray that you would speak to us and accomplish your purposes. I don't know the spiritual condition of every person in this room or every person who may watch this message or listen to it in the coming weeks and days and months, whenever. But I pray that your spirit, that you would work, Lord God, that you would accomplish your purposes and that we would leave this place today encouraged not only about who you are and and your love for us and your desire for men to come to know you, 
but that we would be motivated, uh, even as we've looked at a video today and you talked to them about it, that we'd be motivated to reach out to those around us that do not have a relationship with you. God, the consequences of that uh, are, are terrible and eternal. And so I pray that we would care enough, uh, Lord God, to, to step out of our own way, to step out of our fears and inhibitions and whatever all they are, and be bold to proclaim uh, who you are and the love that you have for us. Thank you again, Lord God, for every person uh, who is here. Thank you that I get the incredible privilege of being your messenger boy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's look, let's look at, uh, real quickly, walk, try and walk through some of these uh, facts uh, from Psalm 53. We're starting with this one this morning. It is not a head problem, but a heart problem for the unbeliever. That's, that's the first place we have to start, is in an understanding that it's really not a head problem, it is a heart problem for the unbeliever. Psalm 53, this, this psalm of David uh, opens with these, uh, these words that are, are rather striking if you think about it. The fool has said in his heart. Isn't that unusual? Isn't that, doesn't that sound odd? Don't you think it, that it would say the fool has said in his head? The fool has thought there is no God. But that's not how the text starts, is it? He says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. You see, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows that ultimately it gets down to the, to the fact that it is a heart problem that people have when it comes to this idea of, uh, of this knowledge of God and this, this belief in God. It is the heart that has always been considered kind of the, uh, the seat of emotions. Not, now, not the, of course, I know y'all realize this, not the physical muscle in your body that's pumping blood through, throughout your system. No, not that heart, but the heart that we, that we refer to when we say, uh, that person has a broken heart, or my heart is broken over this, or, or you know, my, my heart. It's talking about this, this, the, the emotional, this, 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 this soul, this, this whoever I am as a person, that, that it is that person who has made this emotional decision this, uh, to, to, to either ignore the evidence for the existence of God, because that's where this text is, is first worth jumping right into. Either ignore the evidence or to interpret the data, interpret the, the evidence in such a way that leads them to believe intellectually then that there is no God. But it does not begin in the head. It, the psalmist says it begins in the heart. And that's what we need to understand. And that's if you're here today and you say, well, I just don't know about this whole God thing, whether I even believe in it all or, you know, I, there's all kinds of ideas and everybody's got all their different kinds of beliefs and gods out there. I just don't even know which is right or, or what to believe. Okay, granted, if that's how you feel, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate so much that you would come in and at least sit down and, and, and hear what the Word of God has to say. But I'd also say to you that, that you need to at least acknowledge the idea that perhaps that there is something within me that, that's more than just intellectual problem. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But that there's something within me that is resistant to the idea that there could be a God that I am ultimately accountable to. Adrian Rogers, who was one of the great preachers of the 20th century, went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago. Adrian Rogers, I, I heard him tell this story uh, one time. Uh, he pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for many, many years. But uh, I, I heard him at a conference one time, and he, and he would told this story about a gentleman that he met when he was pastoring uh, First Baptist Church in Merritt Island, Florida, which is down uh, you know, along where Cape Canaveral is and that sort of thing. A lady had uh, joined their church, become part active there in the church there in Merritt Island. And she had asked uh, Dr. Rogers if he would go and visit 
her husband, who did not attend church. He was a scientist. He worked for NASA. And um, she said, would you, would you just go and, and visit and talk with my husband? He said, sure, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And so he went uh, to uh, the couple's home, and the gentleman was very polite. He invited Dr. Rogers in, and they sat down at the kitchen table there in their home. And uh, the, the scientist, the NASA uh, scientist, informed Dr. Rogers that he was welcome in his home. He's happy to sit down and talk with him. But he wanted him to understand right up front that he was an atheist, and I'm, I'm an atheist. And Dr. Rogers said to him, well, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, would you consider yourself an honest atheist or a dishonest atheist? And the man looked kind of puzzled. He said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, an honest atheist will examine the evidence before he comes to a conclusion. A dishonest atheist won't. He said, well, I, I certainly want to be honest. I mean, I, I think I'm honest, so, so I guess I'm an honest atheist. So Dr. Rogers said that there at the kitchen table, there, uh, as most of us probably have around our kitchen tables, there was a, a thing of, of napkins sitting there at the table. And so he took a napkin from the table, and he, and, he, and he just drew a circle on the napkin. I don't know how big the napkin was. I don't know how big the circle was. But he drew a, a circle on the napkin. And he said, uh, and he slid it over to the uh, atheist uh, NASA scientist, and he said, uh, let's suppose that this circle represents all of the knowledge of the universe. All that is knowable in the universe is contained within this circle. Okay, I get it. So then uh, Dr. Rogers uh, hands the scientist the pen and he says, how about if you indicate in that circle that represents all that is knowable within the universe, indicate how much of all of the knowledge of of the universe you possess? Well, come on. Even the most arrogant of persons is not going to make more than just maybe the smallest little indication on there, which is what, what the gentleman did. I mean, he's, he's honest, and so he, he makes this little mark on the circle, right? Because it's, all, it's, all, it's the vast, all the knowledge of the universe. So Dr. Rogers then says to him, he says, do you, do you suppose, do you just suppose that it's possible that God could be out there in all of that knowledge that you don't possess? So the guy said, well, I, I guess that makes sense. I, I guess I'm not necessarily an atheist. I, I guess I, I have to admit that God could exist. I, I guess I just, I doubt that he exists. So Dr. Rogers says, oh, well, then you're an agnostic then. He says, that's right, I'm an agnostic. I, I doubt the existence of God. So Dr. Rogers said to him, well, do you consider yourself an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? <laughs> By now, the guy's a pretty sharp guy, so he's like, well, I, I want to be honest. He says, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. And this is, this is how Dr. Rogers was led in that particular instance. I'm not saying God works this way every time. Uh, it's, not, it's not a bad idea to try it. But Dr. Rogers uh, opened the Bible to uh, the book of John. He says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to start reading the book of John every day for the next two weeks. So just start reading. Just start reading the book of John every day for the next two weeks. He said, and before you read, I'm just asking you. I said, and I know you're saying, you don't even, you're not even sure God exists. But before you begin to read, I'm just asking you to pray this simple prayer each time. God, I don't even know if you exist. Matter of fact, I doubt it. But God, if you're real, I'm asking you to reveal yourself to me. Amen. So just pray that prayer. And so the gentleman agreed that he would because he wanted to be an honest agnostic. And uh, as Dr. Rogers tells the story, and I can't remember the days, but I want to say it was like on the fourth or fifth day, uh, he got a call literally in the middle of the night uh, from this gentleman just broken in tears, begging him to come over to his house right then so that he could know this God in an intimate and personal way. You see, that's what I'm saying to you. It's what the psalmist is saying to us. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. 
And that's what we have to understand. Look at some other Psalms in here. Look at uh, Psalm 17.10. They have closed their unfeeling heart, so with their mouth they speak uh, proudly. Psalm uh, uh, 36. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes because this transgression that's in his heart, you see? Psalm uh, 81, verse 12. So I let them follow the desires of their sinful what? Hearts. It wasn't where their mind was leading. It was where their heart, where, their, where that, that person within who I, who I am, that, that they followed their own plans. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. Now, having said that, that does not mean that there, there are not people who have honest intellectual questions. There are. There are people that may have honest intellectual questions. And you and I need to, as the Apostle Peter admonishes us, many of you know this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, always being ready to make a defense. Uh, the word in Greek is apologia, an apologetic, make a defense for, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Watch this. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Why is that? I say this all the time to people. You never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. You can only love them into the kingdom of God. You really can. Now, sometimes people just want to be argumentative and, and they want to argue with it and their heart's really not open. They really don't want to hear. And, and, you know, I don't know what you can do. But we need to be ready to give an answer. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you have this faith? Why do you have hope that when you die, and you're all going to die, right? Unless the rapture occurs first, if I'm right about that. If the rapture occurs first, but, but otherwise you're going to die, I'm going to die, we're all going to die. What gives you the hope that that's not the end and that you're going to go to heaven and wherever this place God prepared for us and whatever all it's going to be like, what gives you that hope? Why do you believe that? And somebody intellectually says, how do you know? Why, why do you believe in God? And so it's okay to, to learn about the, the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the teleological argument, and the, and the religious argument, and the, the, the on and on. Christological, there's all kinds of ways that you can say, hey, here's, here's evidence we look at that points us to God. Because the truth is, can I tell you this? Most times, this is just my experience, I don't know if you experience it or not, but most times, most of the quote-unquote atheists or agnostics that I have talked to have never actually really examined any evidence. It's just easier to say, no, I, I don't believe in God. It's just easier. So I, I always thought that was a great thing for Dr. I. Well, are you an honest atheist or a dishonest one? Because an honest one will examine the evidence. It's a head problem. I mean, it's, it's a heart problem, not a head problem. Okay, second uh, idea this morning. God is reaching out to the unbelievable, to the unbeliever, which is unbelievable. I was in a hurry to get to that. Because it is unbelievable. Look at what it says in, in uh, verse 2. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands who seeks after God. What an astounding thought. That God Almighty, creator of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, would be looking for men and women to come into a relationship with him, that could have a relationship with him, that could know him in a personal and intimate way. The very idea that God would do this, you understand what I'm saying? Man, Psalm 8, y'all read Psalm 8, Psalm 8, what does it say? When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have flung from your fingertips... What is man that you are mindful of him? That you would even think of me, God? That's what the psalmist is saying. It's, it's an astounding thought. And yet, David says in Psalm 53, God is looking down. By the way, the, the, the Hebrew uh, phrase there, 
where is it? Uh, look down from heaven. It carries, in the Hebrew, it carries this idea of intense looking. It's, it's like a leaning forward uh, kind of idea, intensely looking. Wow. Wow. That God would so desire a relationship with men that he, needing nothing, missing nothing, lacking nothing, and yet he would desire to do this. What an astounding thought that God would even take notice of me, much less die for me. By the way, intensely looking, leaning, desiring for men, that does not in any way mean that God does not know whose heart is open to him, whose heart is cold and indifferent to him. It does not in any way mean that God is not the one that is drawing people and doing the saving in people's lives. But the, the text is conveying the idea that this is the heart of God. The very heart of God is that he wants men and women to come into a relationship with him. It's what he wants desires that people would come to know him. When I was a, a kid, uh, we, had a, a, we always had dogs when I was growing up, and usually big dogs. And uh, we, I had a Dalmatian. He was, really, he, was, he was a family dog, but Spike was really kind of my dog, and Spike took to me and had a Dalmatian named Spike. And one day my dad had taken us down uh, fishing at a creek, uh, me and my two brothers, and we went down to this uh, creek, and it was underneath a, a railroad pass, you know, it was railroad tracks, and railroad trestle track, and we were underneath there, and there was a creek that ran through there, we went down there to go fishing. And uh, at some point while we're there, we could hear a train uh, coming in the distance, and it was a high-moving, fast-moving, you know, passenger train, it was moving along, and it was blowing its horn as it was coming, and it was getting closer, and, and I don't know, but at, at some point, I realized that Spike was not with me, he was not near me, and I turned around, and I looked, and there he is up on the railroad tracks, with his back turned to the train, completely oblivious, because he was in the ground, he was smelling something that was on the railroad tracks, and, that, and that's how Spike was, you know, when he got, when he got zoned in on something, that, that's just all, that's just all he, he focused on. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm yelling, Spike, Spike, come here, come here, Spike, come here, come here. And the train is blow, coming closer and closer, and the horn is blowing, and he is totally oblivious to it. And he was struck by the train and killed instantly. It was a traumatic event in my life as a little boy. And I was thinking about that in the context of Psalm 53, and I was thinking, wow, isn't that so much like people. We become, we, we, we become so enamored with, with the things of this world or, or whatever we're focused on or this job I got to get done or this promotion I want or this, this house I want to get or this, this certain car I've got to drive or, or this 401k I've got to build, whatever. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm just saying we just become so focused, so zoned in on those things that we don't even realize the approaching danger and we don't even realize that God is reaching out to us and he's trying to draw us and he's trying to call us through circumstances good and bad, through people that he sends into our life, through, through, through his word, through whatever the case may be, God is seeking, reaching out to people. And I'll show you just a, a passage of scripture uh, in Second Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those heart, whose heart is completely his. That, 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 that's a God of compassion, a God who desires people to come to him. And in Luke 15, there's this, this, this parable of, the, uh, of the, the sheep and the shepherd and the, the, the one sheep gets lost and, and 
the shepherd leaves the 99. Maybe you've read it. He leaves the 99 to go in search of that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he greatly rejoices. The purpose of the parable is one. It has one purpose to communicate to us that God is absolutely crazy about us. God is reaching out to the unbeliever. He's desiring people to come into a relationship with him. Again, I'm not saying that God does, oh, I, I wonder who's going who's gonna to choose me. I, I wonder who's, no, God is doing this work. God is drawing people. God is sending a spirit. And God knows whose heart is, is open in him or will be open in him. God knows which person will respond to him. But God, I, I just absolutely believe this is a biblical principle. God wants all men and women to be saved. I honestly believe that. I, I understand they not all will be, but I honestly believe God desires for all to be saved. Maybe you've read this passage of scripture in Ezekiel chapter 18. This is God speaking. Do I actually delight in the death of the wicked? Declares the sovereign Lord. Look at what he's saying here. Do you think somehow this, this brings me pleasure to know that some person that deserved hell, that I somehow delight in the fact that now they're gone and dead? And Do I not prefer that he turn from his wicked conduct and live? That's, that's the God that you and I serve. A God who cares and is desiring and is reaching out. Okay, here we go. Number three this morning. There is no excuse for the unbeliever. Look at verse 3. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become what? Corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. This is simply a truth of God's word. God's going to judge. There's this judgment that's coming upon uh, the people. Every one of them, every one of them has turned aside. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's just simply a reality of the truth of God's word. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, I, I, I have to think if, if God's a loving God, he, he, would, he wouldn't do this. God, if God's a loving God, he, he wouldn't judge, right? Maybe you feel that way. It's like what C.S. Lewis uh, says, C.S. Lewis uh, says, C.S. Lewis says, well, C.S. Lewis said something, and I'm sure, pretty sure it was, it was good, but whatever it was, uh, C.S. Lewis basically said, here's what he said, he said, men want so much, uh, not, not so much a heavenly father, but a heavenly grandfather, that idea in heaven, that they, that, that they want uh, a senile benevolence who, as they say, likes to see young people enjoy themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might truly be said at the end of each day a good time was had by all. And that's how a lot of people approach it. That's how they, that's how they think of this thing. And it, it doesn't... It, and, and they're just... And I, again, I'm not being insulting. I'm just saying they're just ignorant of what God's Word says. Look at some of these passages of Scripture that deal with this fact. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned... To his own way. Each of us, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't think that leaves anybody out, do you? Look at this one. Maybe you've read this in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse. See, that's, that's, that's what we have to understand in this. We're going to get to that in a minute. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened and professing to be wise, they became fools. God is going to 
judge. And there's no excuse. I know I'm kind of combining those ideas, but God is going to judge and there is, there's no excuse. There's no way out of this. There's no way to... And it doesn't mean God doesn't love. But somehow some people sometimes think that, that one of God's attributes cancels out his other attributes. That because God is loving, he certainly would not be uh, judgmental. I was reading the story of a guy named uh, Gary Tyndall, who was on trial for armed robbery in a court in uh, California. I don't know where, but in California. And apparently at some point, Gary did not think that the uh, trial w- was going very well. And so he asked for and received permission from uh, Judge Arma- Armando Rodriguez, I think was his name, to go to the bathroom. And so he went to the bathroom. There was a guard outside the door. But he went into the uh, restroom and uh, got up on the, the plumbing and pushed up on the ceiling. And sure enough, it was a drop ceiling and there was a space in there. And so uh, Gary climbed up into the uh, crawl space and uh, turned south and began to make his way, uh, hope, hoping to escape. And he had gone apparently about 30 or 40 feet when he misstepped and came crashing down to the floor right back in Judge Rodriguez's courtroom. There, there's, there's no escape from this. This is, this is just the way it is, right? It's just the way it is. Well, a loving God wouldn't do that. But think of it this way. Let's say that someone committed a crime against you or someone that you cared about. They, whatever, however, however, whatever you want to carry it to, they come crime against you. And it was brought to trial, and, and at the trial, the, the judge said, man, you, you're, you're as guilty as the day is long. There's no question about it. The evidence is overwhelming. You are guilty, but, but because I'm a loving guy, and he very well me, he may be a loving person to family and to others. He may be very kind and considerate, uh, but if he says in that moment, he says, but, uh, but since I'm a loving guy, I'm just going to forget the whole thing. Now, you tell me, would you not think that, the great, that that was the greatest injustice you had ever experienced or seen? See, God, God can't simply look the other way, or, or he's not a just God. And his love does what, here, here, we're going to move on. His love does not, cancel, does not cancel out our penalty, but it does, but his love can provide for the penalty. It can make provision for the penalty. Let me look at the, uh, the what are we on, four, real quick. Uh, God will judge the unbeliever. Is that what I was just talking about? He's going to judge it. Uh, it's going to happen. There's, there's, it's, just, it's just a reality. You can count on it. And then real quickly, uh, number five, there is hope for the unbelievers. That's what I want you to see this morning. There is hope for the unbelievers. Where we're going to. And, and listen, I know in the, well, we'll talk about it. Willingly, I'm sorry, verse six. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Sure, in the context of this, uh, David is writing about deliverance for the nation of Israel from their enemies. But the same, absolutely same thing is true for you and I. Our enemy is our own sin and the consequences and the penalty of that sin. Oh, that salvation would come. And it does. There is hope for the unbeliever. It's found in God's relationship with us and this desire that he has to have this relationship with us and the, and the lengths that he went to to have this relationship with us. I was reading this story about uh, a father and his daughter, young daughter, uh, in Canada who were walking one day in Canada on, on, in some uh, 
the plane, wherever the plains area is. I could ask Linda, she could tell me where the plains area is of Canada. They were walking out in some grassy uh, plains area and they had walked for quite a while uh, when they uh, suddenly realized uh, behind them that a, a brush fire had started and that it was moving very rapidly uh, toward them. Apparently that can happen in grassy plains and that sort of stuff. And it was moving very rapidly. And there, there was, it became evident pretty quickly that there was no way that they were going to escape this. There was no way to get away from it. And so the father, uh, acting very quickly, uh, told his daughter, he, said, he says, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a fire right here where we are, a smaller fire. We're going to burn an area, and then we're going to stand in that area, and the fire won't be able to get to us when it, when, it, when it comes. And so sure enough, he started a little fire, and he controlled that fire, and, he, and he, however big a circle that he made, and as the fi- fire was coming towards them, the, the wildfires that was coming towards them, and the, the flames were raging up and uh, According to the account, the little girl was just terrified, as you can imagine you would be as these flames are coming, coming to them. But her, her father uh, assured her that the flames could not reach them. Here's what he said. He says, don't worry, my child. The fire can't get to us. The, 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 the flames can't be, can't get to us where the fire has already been. 2,000 years ago, on this hill called Calvary, the penalty for our sins the consequences of our sins was paid for at the cross. And God says, for any person that comes to me through the cross, the fire can't reach you. The the judgment of God can't reach you where it's already been. Ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago, God's judgment on mankind fell on his own son on the cross so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, they could be saved. They could be forgiven. And they could have a relationship with him. That's what God did for us. Whosoever will, let them come. I don't, I don't know. I started this out this morning saying I don't know where every person is and what their relationship is with God. Or, and if you came in here this morning and you say, well, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. Again, thank you for coming. And I'm no way intending to insult you. And God is not insulting you, by the way, when he says the fool is said in his heart. It's, it's, not, it's not an intellectual deficiency. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about a deficiency of the heart and what the person chooses to do with the intellect that they have. He's not saying you're, you're ignorant or dumb or... Not, not in the sense that we would use it. You are ignorant or unaware of his word and what his word says, that his judgment is real and that it will come. There you have it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, when people reject God, it's not really for intellectual reasons. It's not really a head problem. It's a heart problem. The enemy is always working to deceive people into not following God. But as we saw in Psalm 53 today, the consequences of being fooled into believing you don't need God will be eternal. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting 
If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.